0: Welcome to If Then, the show about how technology is changing our lives and our future. I'm Shannon Paulus. Hey everyone, welcome to If Then. We're coming to you from Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We are recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, July 30th. On today's show, we'll talk about the science and technology behind skincare products. The world of skincare can be really confusing. It's basically chemistry wrapped in marketing, beauty standards, and people who hope to take your money. To help us sort through what actually matters to your face, I'll talk to Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu. They're co-founders of Chemist Confessions, which is a blog and Instagram account that help people understand the science behind skincare products. After the interview, my colleague Erin Mack will join me for Don't Close My Tabs, where we'll talk about the best things we saw on the web this week. That's all coming up on If Then.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com
0: Now it's time to talk about skincare products and the ingredients that go into them. If you've ever put even a little thought into picking out a face wash, you know that there are approximately one million products available to do the job. Atop that, there are lotions, masks, serums. There are products that are sulfate-free, paraben-free. There's stuff that has CBD added to it. As someone who reports on health and wellness, I find myself asking all the time, is all of this stuff just marketing bullshit? There are, in fact, smart people involved in the skincare creation process, like our two guests today, Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu. They're co-founders of Chemist Confessions, which includes a blog and Instagram account that help people understand the science behind skincare products. They're also developing their own small line of products, which they of course sell alongside detailed descriptions of their ingredients. Victoria and Gloria, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having us. Hi, how are you?
0: Good. Um, So I first found you guys through Instagram, um, where you have about 80,000 followers. And Instagram is usually a place uh, that's used to sell products and show us other people's like shiny lifestyles. And it's sort of a fantasy land. So I'm wondering how you decided uh, that Instagram would be a good venue for debunking and educating people about skincare.
3: That was one of the questions we had was like, is there a community of people who want to know more about skin science on instagram but what the heck let's just get started and see where it goes
2: yeah and it definitely helps that it's shorter we can actually give uh bite-sized i guess like science facts and it kind of helps us to communicate just on the ingredient science in a more simplified way versus like a blog where we could probably write for forever and um I think we already kind of abuse the word limit on Instagram, but it kind of helps simplify our message
0: and what made you think that oh people need to understand ingredients better?
2: yeah, so uh I think the with all of the marketing noise out there, it was just hard to understand what these ingredients were really doing for your skin. Um, People kind of have a general idea of like, Oh, I believe it's supposed to help with wrinkles, pigmentation, even, even those kinds of concepts are, are difficult for them. And I think also the really important message for us was to, tell people that ingredients have to work, uh, will work at the right concentration. So even just the idea of like, you need the right amount to get these benefits. um, We just wanted to kind of establish like a foundation for customers to understand when they're shopping, like what is important and what ingredients are important to really get the effects and really make the most, get the most out of their skincare.
0: Yeah, there's a, a post that I like from pretty early on on in your Instagramming where there's a photo of a cat and the cat saying, like, I sneezed actives into your serum. That'll be $90. <laughs> oh, as though, that's like, my like <laughs> As though, like, the mere presence of those ingredients in whatever amount will, will magically transform your exactly, face. Exactly, exactly. So what do you guys do in your own skincare routines with all of those options out there and, like, all of those? I feel like you could have a hundred-step skincare routine these days.
3: Um, it's funny that you asked that because we the both uh, two of us are actually pretty simple um, <laughs> and holistic. And we travel so much for chemist confessions that you're kind of forced to take just the most important pieces. Um, we know that there's been so much material out there that advocated for eight, then 10, then 12, then a gazillion um, skincare routine. And we try to encourage people um you know, if you do eight to ten steps and it works for you, great. If not, then um just keep in mind that you cleanse, moisturize, and some protection are the most three most important steps. Mm-hmm. As long as you have those bases covered, consistency is key. Like if you have a three-step routine that you stick to every day, it's probably better than you know feeling the guilt uh, on a late night than rushing to get a step routine that you stick to for a week.
2: Yeah, and and we. Definitely follow the just the very simple cleanse, moisturize, and sunscreen. And I think the only times like we'll change it up or have like more products than that is if we're actually, um, you know, trying to create new formulas. And if that's the case, then Gore and I sometimes are like trying half face, like two different formulas. And so, yeah, we are generally like lazy people with our routines, I guess.
0: So when you say half face, does that mean you're doing, like, an experiment on yourself with a new formula? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. And also, it's, it's, yeah, just for comparison. And we also kind of run out of skin real estate. So we kind of just have to go to Hordes half tape using half face. yeah.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. But we'll be right back with more from Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu, co-founders of Chemist Confessions. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. How long does it take to tell if a new product that you're formulating or even just something you're trying off the shelf uh, is actually making a difference on your skin?
3: Yeah, it depends heavily on on product type Mm -hmm. and, of course, your own skin type. Um... The ones that's easier, a little easier to tell, are the more aggressive actives that we, which we really like, um, like the acids and retinol. Mm-hmm. I personally react very strongly to retinol. I it itches, it peels, it gets red. Um, so I know right away. So that that's actually a great half face comparison that I have to do sometimes. Um, for more preventative ingredients like antioxidants or moisturizers. It's a little harder to tell. Um, We always like to tell people to listen to your skin. You know, if uh, a formula doesn't work for you, if it makes you irritated and whatnot, just it it doesn't work for you. So,
0: For our listeners who might be a little bit more unfamiliar with the skincare world, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what retinol is and why all that itching and peeling might be a sign that it's doing something positive?
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, retinol is considered a anti-aging superstar. It's a sister ingredient of prescription anti-acne drug um tretinoin. It's one of the most effective ingredients out there for long-term anti-aging skin care and, and acne.
1: acne
3: and Yeah. Acne. Yes. yeah. Um, it's a it's a multifaceted ingredient. There's de- uh, data out there on oh. anti-wrinkle, um even anti-pigmentation and also anti-acne um benefits. Um, the reason why it can be a little bit of a difficult ingredient to work with is its irritation potential. There's kind of a period where your skin has to adjust to deal with the ingredient and common side effects, including but not limited to redness, itching, sheet peeling. <laughs> it's something where you kind of have to find the right balance. You don't want it to give you excessive um, irritation, but light levels of maybe a little bit of appealing is normal and acceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, another
2: thing that's really important is because your cell turnover is kind of on steroids. Um, it's really important to also pair that with sunscreen.
0: So retinol is one of those ingredients that might be worth actually paying a little bit of money for. Uh, how long has it been around? Ooh, um, uh, forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah back in the
2: 80s, you can already find data on retinol.
0: That's interesting. I I love it when you guys talk about ingredients that have been around for decades and decades. Um because I feel like if you go into a Sephora or a Duane Reade drugstore, it's pushing all this new stuff um or yeah. or trying to make <laughs> old things sound new. Um I'm wondering if there are any technologies or formulations from like the last 5 years say that are just like really innovative and worthwhile or if the industry is just kind of repackaging old ideas over and over yeah
2: so we would probably say that um encapsulation technology is now like a really big area um and the reason why it's interesting to us is because a lot of these actives do can cause irritation um at the stronger levels and by encapsulating it not only are you kind of protecting um, the shelf life of that ingredient, but you can also help with irritation, um, when it's applied topically. So I would say that's one area. And then the other area, I think that's, um, you'll see a lot of kind of advancement in is just devices, um, anything from cleansing to light therapy. I feel like that area is definitely booming.
3: Yeah. I kind of want to, uh, segue off that a little bit, is that this is something a little difficult when we write on chemist confessions because Mm -hmm. I know everyone, from a marketing angle, everyone's looking Mm -hmm. for that new sexy breakthrough. But a lot of times it it takes years, if not decades, to build a solid case for an ingredient to really prove that it works. So uh, all these these are goodies and we do see that um, customers are now, the market is now ready And those more aggressive activists where maybe 10 years ago um, might now have broad market appeal. Now people are are getting it. So it's not necessarily just that brands are repackaging these ingredients and trying to sell it to you as if we're new. A lot of times, well, I don't want to say a lot of times, but sometimes with some key ingredients, it's really because it does work and stands up to the test of time. And like Victoria said, it might be the same good ingredient repackaged in a more sophisticated technology like encapsulation and, um, and yeah I agree with the devices because I think it's a category where a lot of people are a little wary because it seems a little hokey you know mm-hmm. to have a light mask or a light mm-hmm. treatment but it's an area that's surprising it does have a lot of good data and we're learning more about it every day.
0: Could you define encapsulation technology?
2: Sure. So think of it as, like, um, you can create these, like, lipid carriers. That's just one. There's there's many types. Um, so you're basically wrapping these, like, active molecules um, in this kind of um, shell, almost. And these, um, the molecule can be at a smaller size so that you can help with penetration. On top of that, like, when you wrap it in this, like, almost like a bubble, mm-hmm. um, you are kind of um, protecting the ingredient from the outside.
0: And this is all happening like at the molecular level, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So how can I tell from reading an ingredients list that this like cool technology is present in the stuff I great.
2: That is a great question. <laughs> Unfortunately from the ILU it's pretty difficult. Um, But the thing is, if they do use encapsulation, you probably will hear about it in the marketing. Um, It's very difficult for us even, it's very difficult to really sift through like which encapsulation technologies they're using. And then also to even know the true effectiveness of these encapsulation technologies. And the other thing to add on is, it's pretty expensive too. So, you know, whether or not it's being used at the right level is also difficult. So it's it's kind of this new area, um, that we definitely see a lot of potential in. But in terms of like navig- helping people navigate this this channel, um, we're not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, I know transparency is a real problem in the skincare industry. Can you speak to how you're trying to change that a little bit?
3: Yeah. As Victoria mentioned earlier, one of this key concept we're trying to communicate is that just having the right ingredients not enough having the right level of ingredients really important Mm -hmm. so with our own product line we uh we have a highly transparent ingredient list where we give you the exact percentages of all of our key active ingredients and on top of that i think the decoding and trying to communicate more the gray areas of the industry When we work, what's difficult is that people want to hear black and white, right? People want want people to say parabens are evil or parabens are awesome and take really hard stances. And in our blog, on the Instagram, we try to explore more of the gray areas to try to present the data as is, what we know today, what we don't know, where we're trying to go. And interestingly, people really like that because they're starting to catch on that any really hard stance out there is probably a little unfair.
0: <laughs> are there any marketing claims that are just total pet peeves for you where you're like when you hear this it's bullshit, stay away? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think my favorite, my personal favorite, it doesn't it just makes me laugh is the really old school like sci-fi fantasy storytelling ones, um the one that's The ones that's straight up like there is some exotic flower that blooms once every five years and we went there and collected the first dew drop off you know like the (laughs) one that's very exaggerated and people get very creative with that i i find those humorous and but i I, on the flip side it doesn't really annoy me because i think people are getting over those claims they're not as powerful they used to be people really roll their eyes at that now um, the ones that really irritate me nowadays are the ones that claim benefits of a of a hot ingredient, like say vitamin C, um because everyone um more people are aware of how good ascorbic acid is for your skin now, but then there are products out there that claim these buzzwords like vitamin C, but they either use a not very effective version or they use it at a very, very low level to mislead consumers. That really that's pretty annoying to me. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I think the
2: pet peeve I have is um what we call kind of science washing. and mm-hmm. what that what happens with that is like you're 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 really confusing the consumer now with by just throwing like science words at them, you know, just to kind of establish that you're like this expert and whatever you put in there is um sounds really potent, but even for us sometimes we'll read descriptions that. The branding is uh, definitely positioned to be much more, you know ingrained in research, scientific research. And even for us, it's like we have no idea what they're trying to say or what it actually does. And I think that that kind of marketing message is extremely difficult for a customer to really know what they're buying exactly.
0: It kind of reminds me how if you go to like a Kiehl's uh, store, they're all wearing lab coats just to like look <laughs> <order> fancy. <laughs> okay, it's time for another break, but we'll be right back with more from Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu.
1: This is the story of the wand. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine,
0: I'm wondering if having this inside knowledge of how um, marketing is used to confuse people in the skincare world, which is a world in which you're experts, has changed how you buy things in other areas of your life. Like do you go around being extra skeptical when someone's trying to sell you like a new laptop that has all this jargon attached.
2: <laughs> I don't really. I think maybe the only area that's like extended into is like vitamins and supplements. Because I, I, you know, we we do have an i just a general idea that um, that's also an area that's like just not re- regulated. And um, with that, I think a lot of the messaging and that it it leaves me at least a, a little skeptical. <laughs>
0: um, when you're formulating a new product, um, whether for chemist confessions or you both used to work at L'Oreal, what is the most challenging problem to solve? Yeah, I think for me, it's
2: scale up. It's always been scale up is going from bench to making hundreds of kilos of product. Um, You just never know what will happen until you go through the process.
0: What can go wrong at scale up? Because aren't you just using like the same formula, but more of it? Yep. When you're at that scale,
2: you just, it's hard to explain. But I guess I would say like you're looking at things like viscosity, um, pH, even color. Um, sometimes that you're just surprised by. You, you just can't do the exact same process in scale up um, just by, because you're using a bigger kettle. And with that comes surprises.
0: Did working at L'Oreal change the way that you think about um, products when you go to shop for them for yourselves?
3: I would say definitely. I went into L'Oreal pretty blind. It was a good time in my life, too, because I was starting to um, take skincare more seriously because I'm starting to notice um, early skin issues. Like, oh, I can see where this wrinkle is going to come in the future. But um, I went through a phase where I started buying really expensive products because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people walk through the same steps, just more expensive must be better, right? So... At L'Oreal, L'Oreal gave us a lot inside knowledge for sure, and now I'm definitely more mindful, more skeptical of skincare claims. Yeah, I think we both share the same sentiment after working
2: there, is that, you know, like, uh, for some reason, there's no awareness around the actual ingredients. You know, you, you hear a lot from experts like dermatologists and estheticians who get to work from the skin, coming from the skin side and working with skin, but you don't actually hear from the people who are actually making these formulas. And there's a lot of, you know, insight that could be shared from that angle.
3: Right. And I, was, I always tell Victoria, I feel like like working in the industry for so long and being in the know, it kind of robs you that sense of that. You know, it's like unboxing videos where people <clears throat> people are just so yeah. excited to new products. That's yeah. definitely gone for me now. Because a lot of times when we get new products, it's also for work to, to see what's out there, to know, um, uh, keep up with trends, technology, yeah. understand. So you kind of, you already lose that consumer angle of like, oh, this is a really cute packaging or I really believe right. in- product and you're all full of hope and joy yeah that's going it.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you about a new line of makeup that I find really fa- fascinating it's called sure. war paint and it mm-hmm. claims to be for men um, and I'm wondering if you could if there's any reason under the sun that men would need different ingredients in their skincare and in their, in their makeup Yeah, I
2: would definitely say I I, yeah, we we believe that all ingredients um, work in the same way. The only way it would be different for men is, um, you know, men's skin tends to be oily, more oily. So uh, sometimes textures are lightened up, um, they're more matte to kind of accommodate that. um, And just, I think uh, that's the it's kind of what men look for—is like kind of like refreshing, very light feel, and that would be the only difference. But other than that, yeah, there's there's really no separation, and that's why for us, like when we formulate, um, everything is unisex.
0: I'm also wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, this one particular product that you've discussed on your Instagram before called Good Jeans. It's a like cult favorite it's a hundred and five dollars <laughs> um what is that product supposed to do and is it worth shelling out over a hundred dollars for
3: well <laughs> um i mean it's a solid product i feel like is it worth a hundred and five dollars a little subjective i mean it, it the main ingredient there is lactic acid which is pretty it's common yet not common because it's um it's a alpha hydroxy acid. The main function is chemical exfoliation and cell turnover, mm-hmm. um, which you can find a lot of great glycolic, um, lactic. Glycolic is the most common form of AHAs on the market. I want to say there are better glycolic products on the market just because you have a wider range of choice, but uh, it can be an. Uh, ingredients too aggressive for those with sensitive skin or honestly like just some it just doesn't agree with some people's skin so then if your skin doesn't tolerate glycolic lactic is a pretty solid choice to uh, go after um so in terms of efficacy good jinx won't be as effective as uh, maybe cheaper glycolic alternative on the market but if you're looking for just a lactic acid product then it can be a good option because there just isn't as many um formulations with lactic acid you choose from Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and
3: i the level used
2: there is um, on the lower end so we probably would say you know if you've never used AHAs, if your skin is maybe skews more dry um then you can use this as kind of like a good intro but then you know for people who are well seasoned we would try to push them up to a higher percentage of lactic acid at least around like 15 like 15 percent yeah
0: Interesting. And would that be available in a cheaper product? Or do you have to pay over $100 to get this like magical lactic acid stuff?
3: Yeah, so we you're wearing a really interesting um, place in the industry, you can Mm -hmm. find say lactic acid, say 10% lactic acid in an ultra cheap product like the ordinary. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think uh, we also have the opinion that the ultra simple formulas lactic like uh, of these aggressive acids sometimes can be a little dangerous because um when it's overly simplified it might lead to irritation um, again I think it comes with <clears throat> a certain level of experiment if you can't find a good product that works for you for say I want' to say under 50 you can find a lot of different options yeah
2: I think that that's what I was gonna say is like you know there's very few few products I think Gloria and I would would be like that is worth every penny you know at the hundred dollar price tag so
0: all right thank you so much for joining us yeah thanks Uh for having us okay we're gonna take one final quick break then my colleague Erin Mack will join me for this week's edition of Don't Close My Tabs Okay, now it's time for Don't Close My Tabs. Joining me is my colleague Aaron Mack, who will be hosting the show next week. Hey, Aaron.
1: Hey, Shannon. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you? All right, thanks. So I'm going to kick it off with my tab this week. It's from the New York Times, uh, an opinion piece by Charlie Warzel titled, Equifax Claims May Not Get You $125. And some background, Equifax is, of course, the agency that Holds on to all kinds of sensitive personal information like credit cards and social security numbers and was in 2017 hacked, uh, compromising all of that stuff for 147 million people. And they reached a settlement with the FTC recently. And the gist of it, as a lot of sites, including Slate, reported, is that if you had your information compromised in this hack, you could fill out a short form and Equifax would send you $125, kind of as retribution for the stress that it caused you. And to me, that seems like a pretty great deal. Uh, Having my information hacked is still sort of amorphous and nothing really bad happened. And um, so getting $25, $125 felt like an okay deal at least (laughs) but according to the times um it's not that simple there's actually a very limited pool of money that Equifax has to give out to folks who had their info compromised and 125 dollars is the maximum amount amount that they will give each person um aside from like you can file additional forms to get money if you had your identity compromised but $125 is like the minimum, or the maximum, sorry, amount that they owe each person just for the simple fact that their info is compromised. But if everybody files a claim, that number goes all the way down to um, 21 cents a person. (laughs) So it's kind of, um, as the piece discusses, it's kind of this catch-22 where like me claiming my $125, like. Compromises the payout that other people get. But then if I say, okay, well, I wasn't really affected, I'm going to make sure the pool of money is left for folks who were like genuinely affected by this data breach, like with consequences, then Equifax can say, oh, well, nobody even cared and not not even everyone mm-hmm. um, submitted these claim forms.
1: It's crazy. Um, Josephine Wolf also wrote about this for Slate and she was noting that you might not even get that money until like 4.5 years from now. Um so I don't know how that could possibly help anyone. <laughs> so it'll be like almost 8 years after this breach happened that you would actually get any sort of money. But she also makes the point that you should still file a claim because you want us to you want the consumers to reach that maximum. So Equifax has to use all of the money uh they set aside for it um even if you're not going to get that $125.
0: It also like Reminds me a lot of a story that I reported um, earlier this year on people who were taking you know, $20 a month from Facebook to have Facebook install a VPN on their phone where they saw oh. like everything they did online, basically just like selling off huge swaths of their data. The idea that like, $125 is going to make this okay for me or could make it okay for me was kind of creepy in and
1: of itself. Yeah, just putting a price on a particular aspects of your privacy seems uh like the future we're going into now
0: would you ever let a company spy on you for money
1: for money um i guess it depends on how much money um (laughs) i would like to think my morals are uh more stringent than that but yeah i guess everyone has a price
0: (laughs) that's true (laughs) cool um what's your job for this week
1: Uh, So my tag for this week is Lo-Fi Hip-Hop, which is, it's been around for a while, but I've been really digging it into this week. I've been a little stressed out. It's been helping me unwind. Um, It's this this music genre that I don't think could have existed without internet platforms like SoundCloud or YouTube. And it combines two of my favorite things, which is um, anime from like the 80s and 90s and really sad hip-hop. So Lo-Fi usually consists of these like hour-long streams on YouTube or SoundCloud, of like jazzy hip-hop instrumentals set to old anime clips. And I've read kind of anecdotally that a lot of this is produced by a community of sort of internet users who struggle with depression and it's supposed to help people cope with uh, that depression. I think I've always been interested in the crossover between hip-hop and East Asian cultures um, and the kind of nexus where that happens. So, you know, in the 70s, uh, kids of color from the inner city used to go to these cheap movie theaters that would play kung fu films. And that's kind of what helped birth uh, the Wu-Tang Clan and other Kung Fu-influenced uh, hip-hop uh, outfits. And then in the 90s, uh, Cartoon Network executives noted that uh, black kids made up a lot of the audience for their Toonami anime programming. And now you have a lot of like Dragon Ball Z references and mainstream rap. And I feel like YouTube and SoundCloud is a lot, is like serving that purpose that the theaters and Cartoon Network did um, in the 20th century, where this kind of cross-cultural mixing between hip-hop and anime is happening and um, lo-fi is kind of a a product of that
0: cool do you have a sense of um, how many people are creating this stuff could you listen to this for like hours and hours on end
1: yeah I mean so the the stream that I listen to it is on all the time it's like a 24-hour stream Um, I'm not positive about the size of the community but I know like the viewers the consumers of the uh, songs are in the millions Uh, there's a asian meme group called uh subtle asian traits where it gets a lot of play too so yeah i I would definitely want to dig into who exactly is listening to it but uh yeah it's definitely a a interesting phenomenon and it's, it's just nice to listen to after a long day
0: do you listen to it while you work
1: yeah i do it's like it's good study music and actually some of the videos like just have anime characters studying so it's kind of having like a study buddy I mean that sounds kind of sad, but um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a nice it's a nice uh, presence, I guess, in the in the room. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very therapeutic.
0: A good thing to listen to you while you wait for your Equifax settlement.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, it'll chill you out while you're waiting yeah. for that one hundred twenty-five dollars.
0: All right, that's our show. You can email us at ifthenatsleep dot com. Send us your tech questions, show and guest suggestions, or just say hi. Thanks again to our guests, Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu. And thanks to everyone who's left us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. We really appreciate your time. If Then is a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you want more of Slate's tech coverage, sign up for the Future Tense newsletter. Every week, you'll get news and commentary on how tech advances are changing the world in ways small and large. Sign up at slate.com futurenews future news. Our producer is Cameron Drews. Thanks also to Danielle Hewitt, who engineered for us in D.C. today. We'll see you next week.